Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. But why would you, if as a professional director, join the board of brew? Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on the 14th of April 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by senior journalist Claire Burnett and industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Welcome to you both. Hey Matt. Morning. How are we? Good. <laughs> Looking forward to this weekend, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, did, did, I am cream This is the bracket. part of the show where we struggle with, are we, do we dive straight into the news yeah. or do we, you know... Assume that actually people talk actually care. About our lives. Yeah, people actually care a little bit about us. Let's, let's assume that they don't. Or yeah, I was going to say. Okay. No, I agree because I think the same thing about there's people enough, on the radio. Yeah, there's enough of that in below the fold. I agree. No one cares about us. <laughs> anyway, Claire, there has been some big news this week. Starting with interesting story that fell out of a news media release: brewers grapple with sustainable packaging. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as you say, it was. A little bit of news, a little bit of brewery pro, a little bit of analysis. Um, So brewers have obviously been focusing on sustainability recently. We've covered uh, carbon neutral breweries. We've covered uh, B Corp breweries. But finding the best environmentally friendly option for packaging can also prove challenging, uh, which Brewhaha would know. Uh, So it announced very recently that it was working with packaging company EcoGrip to use an environmentally friendly 100% Australian recycled plastic can carrier. Brouhaha had previously publicised its move to biocane handles, uh, so sugarcane pulp uh, can handles, in 2020. Brouhaha's media release uh, this time round said that Australians use 130 kilograms of plastic per person per year, so obviously avoiding virgin materials such as newly manufactured plastic um, and even aluminium could help, especially as recycling rates increase. Um, that's standing at about uh, 18% in Australia at the minute. So all well and good. They've changed their tune on that. That's fine. Um, but according to some figures, six-pack plastic rings could take 400 years to degrade. And we discussed with a number of breweries as well as Biopack, you know, the difficult choices that breweries are having to make between sustainability, functionality and price uh, in all elements of their packaging. So a bit of a wide-ranging one, uh, a little bit of a crossover, but an interesting one. And we got lots of good responses from it. It's not well. simple, but we might discuss further in Below the Fold, Shall I we? think. Yeah, there's Shall a lot we? to discuss in that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bingo Cardretti, founder steps down at Brew. <laughs> Pointedly, late on Friday... Brew announced that founder Kent Grogan had stepped down from his role at Brew. Uh, Grogan, who founded the business in 2009, will remain with the ASX-listed beer brand as general manager of the Brew beer category. Uh, and fellow director Matthew Boys will also step down, or has also stepped down. Uh, at the same time, Brew announced the appointments of Kobe Lee and George Carafotias. Yes. Carafotius, I guess. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as directors of Brew, effective immediately. Both are listed as directors in another ASX business. So we definitely will talk. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. how much talk does it need? Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, one of our, another <laughs> bingo card, sharp decrease in ABAC complaints. Yes, welcome news perhaps. Uh, there's been a sharp decrease in ABAC complaints in the first quarter of 2022 with around half the complaints and a quarter of the ter- determinations of the previous quarter. Um, this is the lowest number of complaints and determinations uh, in a three-month period since 2019. At the same time though, pre-vetting has continued to remain high with 782 requests for pre-vetting um, as alcohol producers and retailers and advertisers use the service, which is set to be updated this year. Now, another another one that has probably... Oh, no, we don't it's, mention it's them a lot, but it's interesting. CUB brings back Resher's Dinner Ale. So eagle-eyed Resher's Appreciation Society members saw that uh, Resher's Dinner Ale has been brought back uh, last week. So we followed that up uh, with Cartland United Breweries and they had said, yes, absolutely, we are bringing back another heritage beer in the form of Resher's Dinner Ale. The Dinner Ale was first brewed in Sydney in the early 1900s, according to the brewer, but discontinued around the 1990s. Uh, a grassroots movement from the Resher's Appreciation Society uh, petitioned to bring the Dinner Ale back and now it's back for a limited edition run. One that probably sounds a little bit like an ad, but 
actually wasn't, um, attracting new grads key to success at CUB. And this is an interesting one, absolutely, I know what you mean. Uh, We've obviously got a a massive skill shortage in lots of areas of the brewing industry and I think it's important to highlight uh, some of the programs and some of the uh, techniques and methods and things that people are doing uh, whether they be major or not, uh, to bring more talent into the industry. And one of those is Asahi Beverages uh, graduate programs. So they've been introducing new graduate programs over the past couple of years, depending on where skill shortages lie in their business. Uh, and they've just launched the new HR one, and they've expanded the program to New Zealand. Uh, so interesting one, I spoke to a very nice um graduate who is now the brand manager of Asahi Super Dry uh, after f- completing her program two years ago. So just a really bit of a, a bit of an industry leading program to try and get more people in the industry and to plug those skills gaps where we do need more. That is news for the week. We might go into Below the Fold and just continue on from that because it was an interesting uh, story. So we are now Below the Fold. Um, <laughs> nice snappy little news, but yeah, no, I, I saw, you, you know, you see companies posting on LinkedIn, you know, their celebratory stuff, and mm-hmm. it was interesting that we didn't even receive a media release. Um, well, they didn't really look like they wanted to publicise it, like yeah. as in a we're doing this amazing thing, aren't we good? It was very much a like, oh, we if you would like tease to tease it out, yeah, yeah, it took a while, it took a while. But one of you know, in addition to sustainability, that we'll come to. Mm-hmm. Looking at the health of the industry, career development is a massive issue. Um, it really is problematic for the industry as as a whole, and yep. whether it's you know brewers or you know the, the associated industries. So to see it and to see that CUB is actually topping up the pool of skills with a and it, it, it's a highly regarded um, cadet program. Yep. Um, it just seemed really odd that they weren't publicising it um, when you know, o- other businesses are making much more of a success and they have such a huge capacity to train people in the industry and you know a lot of those will stay in the industry working in other roles and other businesses. So it, it just seemed like a good one for us to track down. Definitely. And I really liked as well that the focus was on not just attracting people to the business for the program but keeping them in the business and retaining them there which was really key. It's really interesting. So in so workforce as a as a global term is and all things associated with that is one of the biggest challenges facing the industry over the next few years small to large and um, in these large businesses you see it in um, law firms you see it everywhere so if you hit that three-year post grad mark and you start to see drop off and that's typically I'm sure part of what CUB are doing is trying to trying to extend people's careers by giving them career pathing through in within their own business mm. as opposed to looking outside and not to put a, um, a plug on something that you that Brews News, you guys are working on it at the moment, but this Brewers Network, um, you know, I've always made the argument that part of the reason that we, uh, you know, that small and big beer should work together is that so many of our really skilled folks that work in craft or smaller breweries have come from and been trained by um, the big breweries. And so when we start to look at that um, that uh, network, brewers network that you guys are putting out, you can really see that flow, right? And so programs like this are not just important for Asahi and CUB, although we hope it's helpful. We know I know Lion runs similar style programs mm-hmm. and I'm sure, you know, companies that are looking at uh, as they get bigger are looking at things very similar but actually this has a huge potential huge impact if they don't stay if these staff are well-rounded and trained if we think about what are the skills required to run a small brewery these days mm-hmm. you know we constantly hear that the lines between job roles are blurred because you've got you can hire so few people and so having multi-skilled people mm-hmm. through these programs is yep. hugely important exactly and they do go in every aspect like Monique who I spoke to the the graduate she was in marketing but she'd been in supply chain she'd done all of it she'd gone through all elements of the business and she had mates in that that kind of thing and you don't realize how important that kind of thing is when you're trying to embed someone in a business and get them to stay yeah. and we've spoken before about like lions employment practices mm-hmm. um I had a chat on the brewery pro podcast to Ryan at Catchman and uh, Nick at Brewstaff and we were talking about you know what is it that attracts a brewer and what makes them want to stay? And a lot of that is 
things like that. Yeah. Not just free beer. It's about what, how can you grow in a business? How can you develop your interests? How can you do things that you like? And how can you be immediately attracted to good employment practices, like for four-day weeks or whatever the case yeah. may be? It's really interesting because – so two other threads there. I remember the conversation that Matt had a couple of years ago. must be a couple of years ago now. Maybe it was last year with Burley Brewing, mm. talking about how they try to create career paths within Burley Brewing, although – or also, and um, you know, encourage people, you know, when there isn't the career path, be really supportive to help them get the next job. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it's not here, where is it? And yeah. still be really um, supportive of people's careers. And then um, there was just the um, uh, podcast from Tuesday, Matt's conversation with Richard and Zoe at Young Henry's mm. talking about new people in. And that was a really nice, again, discussion about what attracted her to the business why would she stay and those pieces that you talked about, Claire, which is having a business that feels like it supports you and who you are as a person makes you want to work harder yep. and stay in the business. And yep. so this uh, – and Richard actually talked about the, the shift now between people's expectations around the role of uh, – the ball is not always in the court of the employer. Mm-hmm. And something like this program from CUB that really tries to get at what people want and give them options is really – stepping into that space, right? How do you meet the needs of employees? Yep. Um, because, you know, the employment market's shifting. And it's soul-destroying working for a business that doesn't share your personal values. They're yep. just the dissonance that takes place between your personal life and your professional life. And we yep. spend so much time professionally that, yeah, um, they're big things. But I, I'm just going to come back <laughs> at risk of making this a house ad. I know. Um, I just no, realised no, that, but it's where all the threads are, right? Well, but that's why we do what we do, and, and it, it does sound like sort of very sort of self-referential. But the reason, as Claire just said, the reason that we do what we do, the topics that we pick, are about the issues that we're hearing, yeah, and how do we give right. a lens to the issues through real life examples and talking about it. So that's what yeah. beer as a conversation is. But then the um, the Brewers Network that we haven't really talked much about um, since it launched, which because we don't tend to be self-referential unless it's relevant. Um, it, it, it's really cool to have seen the data that has come in and we're finally getting ready to to launch it. Um, and you do see how interconnected the brewing industry yeah. is. So I just wanted to give that a plug because you will be hearing us plug it in Beer as a Conversation for the next couple of weeks. If you, as a listener, are a brewer or have worked as a brewer in Australia, even if you do work overseas, click through the link in the show notes. Um, look down at your whatever you, you're listening to this and you'll see a link to the show notes to the Brewers Network um, or go to the website and look at the Brewers Network and fill out the um, bio form. So we're just asking for your name and the chronolog- chronological list of the breweries that you've worked at to try and establish you know, the flow through and it's the the, the little package um, that Emmy has uh, created the visual representation of it is just such an awesome visual oh, data representation amazing. it does it looks um, so good I'm, well, and I'm excited just getting this basic package done then we're going to look at how we can add to it um, you know by, by looking at some of the other data we can pull through it but it's just trying to get this as a almost a family tree for for brewing at the start but then looking at some of the things so if if you are a brewer you've worked as a brewer um, even if you're in allied roles now jump on and put your name into it because it's a really cool data set that you're going to be uh be be saying um yeah anyway so okay so that so that was um the the cub um not an ad but employment is important um now the sustainable packaging another interesting one and so much came out of that. I had loads of emails afterwards. There was loads of comments on the. I didn't realize that this would touch, not a sensitive spot, but obviously something people because it's so yeah. applicable. It's something everybody's thinking about, yeah. right? And so that. You but know. it's and, and I think the way that this story, because it we grapple with how to talk about sustainability so much because mm-hmm. sustainability is something that brewers are focusing on, but it is just so much yeah. content. You know, yeah. which Oh, it's all-encompassing. Do, do, do you pick pull? a thing yeah. and keep going with it. Whether yeah. it is sustainability of employment, whether it is sustainability of mm-hmm. packaging, whether it's sustainability of ingredients and yep. sustainability in the brew house, water use. Yep. And you can't just do that without doing a 30,000-word. So this came to us because, um, as Claire said, we got a media release um, from Brewhaha saying that they'd, uh, they would had adopted a new Australian company's four-pack 
plastic mm-hmm. four-pack yep. things. Recycled plastic, all Australian. And they were heralding, yeah. you know, that it was an Australian and so yep. it was made from recycled plastic, which is awesome, mm-hmm. and that it was a locally made thing, which is also awesome. Yep. But then also, you know, two years ago or 18 months ago, the same brewery had celebrated their use of their recycled straw. Uh, um, the sugarcane. The sugar, sugarcane yep. mulch um, ones. Yep. And in that release, they were basically saying how awful plastic was um, to make, you know, and it, it, it all credit to them for looking at sustainable solutions. Mm-hmm. But it really highlighted through this one company celebrating different things that they'd done. You know, clearly they want to get away from plastic because it is a marketing tool for them. But then the non-plastic solution is an immature. It needs work. It needs product development. It's interesting. I was having a look. So I recalled Altitude Brewing in New Zealand launched a um, really similar product, oh, yes. yep. Yep, not by Biopack, exactly like um, in 2019. And I was just having a look to see whether it was, in fact, the Biopack supplier, but it's not. It's something called E6PR. Um, and they launched that in 2019. And currently, there's a couple of breweries in New Zealand that are still using it. And actually, there's a couple of breweries in Australia that are using it. Mm-hmm. So it's clear, you know, as your article said, Claire, people are looking for things and trialing things. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that was really nice, sort of as an outcome of that article, was that these suppliers of alternatives are looking for industry input yep. to make it to make the product successful and meet needs yep. and you were able to connect someone with them to provide input and actually that's the only way mm-hmm. we're going to get a solution yep right if you work with them and say look this is a great idea we want to do it but this that this and this don't work for me doesn't work in my brewery uh the packing team they're it takes hurting, too slow. it's yeah. too slow it might degrade you know you can't there's a pop bit it of in an esky yeah. if you take yeah. it particularly yeah. in queensland with humidity you take it out it gets wet there's difficulties loses. with yep. that yeah exactly so these are the issues and all fair fair play to biopack they were like look we know that this is in development we're but we will throw whatever we need to at it to get it to work we just need people to partner with us we need yeah. people to tell us what's going on and what's wrong not just give it up after doing a trial run and realising it was didn't work for them but that, but and that's that, how, no feedback. Like that's how innovation – I mean, in all of the sustainability discussions we've had, it's like pick, some, pick something and work on it and it's also like trial things, you mm-hmm. know. So all credit to Brouhaha who tried something, it didn't work for them, are trying something yep. else because yep. that means that people are out there looking for solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, it's the challenge of the industry is so busy but the only way that these solutions are going to – exist is by kind of leaning into them and working with them so it's good to see that there are breweries and suppliers who are looking at these and Mm. working on them you know Uh, exactly and like we also spoke to hawks because they were doing the cardboard wraps yeah for them because i know they've had their issues in the past you know cans falling out Mm. can damage the products can potentially be safety issues so not there's not necessarily a solution that is perfect but if we try and work towards something that yeah fits for everything and everyone but yeah it's uh, and I didn't try and sort of I didn't want to lambast anyone in that I didn't want to point fingers or anything I just wanted to be like well look this is fine like let's have this discussion let's talk about it and Mm. what the problems are and like what works for you and put all that out there instead of just not helping each other and yeah, not well, providing I, that information and sharing that information. Well, that's the, the the other discussion we've been having recently is that sort of concept around failing fast and actually being confident enough to say, yeah, actually that didn't work and that's okay because we're trialling something else. And mm-hmm. so that's a good, you know, hopefully this helps some other folks. Uh, it's already helped someone who wants mm-hmm. to get involved but ha- helps other folks like weigh up their options. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, tricky one, and it went a lot longer than I had intended to. It was going to only be like 500 words. But they're complicated issues, and (laughs) and, and that's the thing. But look, this is banging our own drum. These are issues that people don't like to tackle because somebody's going to be upset. And if you have an advertising business and you advertise to people who make plastic, but these are the problems that the industry are grappling with, Mm -hmm. and that's what we need to do. We we need to talk about it rather than just sort of... um, Pretend everything's okay and everything's perfect. Yeah, and it's not because (laughs) we're we're, we're all moving to being better. 
Would um, you like to talk about somebody else that's moving to be better? Uh, <laughs> is it who I think it is? Well, are they? <laughs> I well, don't know. Uh, Although my th- I thought the other day, and I would like to get your input on this, Sabrina, um, as a general manager rather than a director, I would assume then that you don't have to tell the ASX if they leave. It's not You're uh, not a director, so... Depends whether I wonder what their shareholding. Oh, he still has a reasonably large shareholding. Oh, yeah. yeah so I, so like I would that. imagine that would be on the list of things, yes. um, the shareholding. And also, I think you have to announce to the market substantial changes. And so I would yeah. think that if you're the general manager, CEO, then, yeah. then yeah. that would have to get announced. Um, but I also thought. Um, it, Did it, we even mention this we, that we were talking about brew? Oh, we're talking about we, brew. We're talking uh. about brew. Do we even, <laughs> I don't um, think we even mentioned that. It was really fascinating to yeah. look into the two board members that mm. were appointed who have come from the same company. And Wellness that, Life? We, Wellnext Life. Wellnext Life. And it, it was just sort of, you know, the – the inquiring mind of mine was, well, how did they get involved? Mm-hmm. Why would two people from one company, what it's is the financial... It's a complicated, complicated business. Yeah. And it's, it's just, but it all just, I mean, you have to wonder whether this is part of kicking them out or, but why would you, if as a professional director, join the board of Brew? So as somebody who's a qualified corporate director and knows the um, ethical and Mm-hmm. responsibilities that's involved with that and you take a look at brew mm-hmm. or any media coming from inside the brewing industry about brew and you would be questioning whether that is a safe choice for you as an incoming director. Yeah. So because I've just typed in brew by the way and there's a few like product pages and stuff and then the uh, the only our news article about them is our article brew results excise misfire <laughs> yeah. when they they um were real inaccurate about oh. their excise and just like a casual glance at hot copper you know the gossip site for ASX it's just un- unless they see something in it that we are all completely oblivious to exactly so but it was just the whole thing seems odd it's just what, uh, what's, what's that Shakespeare phrase? It's something it's rotten in the state odd of Denmark. For years. <laughs> I, know, I realize that, but Something's we're talking weird. about this individual one. Yeah, this I'm, latest update. This latest update. Yeah. On the other hand, it very much sounds like there may be a long-term plan to I have. Friggin' hope so. That Mr. Grogan um, is no longer involved, and he's clearly not one of the key decision makers anymore. Mm-hmm. This is going to be one that I think <laughs> when it does crater, and it will, because there isn't a business, it's losing more money than it's selling, the mm-hmm. brand is debauched, it's, yep. it, it's one of dozens. When it does crater and the forensic accountants get in and we read all of that. Oh, that's going to be riveting. If, if the ASX and ASIC do not get called into question there is a problem with mm-hmm. business confidence. You know, it, yeah. it, it can only undermine business confidence. But anyway. Well, I actually spoke – this was – when we first saw the notices about potential removal of directors. So I did speak to uh, Dr. Pamela Hanrahan, um, and I'm saying that right, I'm not tripping over that, uh, who's at UNSW Business School, because I wanted to know that exact thing. I And it, this didn't make the cut in the article, um, because it was about ASIC, it was about the ASX, it was like, how can this be allowed? Yeah, exactly. how, how is this yeah. allowed? And she says, she said, look, you know, they can't look into every single business, number one, fine. But they also aren't the police. Like, they can't tell them and punish them well, for doing things that are slightly dodgy morally and ethically, but not actually by law or well, by the Well, this is the whole of argument about ASIC and the lack of funding and yeah, therefore yeah. Yeah. It is it's expect- the government. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Sorry. that's a whole rabbit hole. That w- w- we- which is where it's fascinating actually because as a journalist who's trying to keep an eye on the business, mm-hmm. every time you get the corporate documents, you have to pay money. Whereas we can get, as not even taxpayers in the UK, we can get access yeah. to the entire company's house repertoire yeah. uh, or you know, re- reserve of Whenever we want, documents we can get hold of BrewDog for free. Because corporate accountability should be a public issue mm-hmm. that journalists... And a public right. A public right yeah. to do. But that requires the government to fund them. Mm-hmm. 
or businesses to fund them yeah. um, you know, as part of the cost of doing business. So it's, it's either it's, it's a tax on probity checking yeah. or it's a tax on running a business or the government just has to fund it, which it's a tax on everybody. But I, I would argue that it should just be something the government funds out of taxes because oh, yeah. it's in everybody's, it's in the economy's interest yep. to have this sort of data publicly available. Yep. So you can check on... Yep. And businesses. as a private citizen, you shouldn't have to potentially spend hundreds of dollars to find out whether a company you are involved in, worked with, bought something from, is doing something wrong, which you might be able to have a look at, which you might be able to connect the dots in the way that a journalist who didn't know it was there and didn't have time to follow that trail or whatever the case may be, would not have. They wouldn't have that opportunity. A private citizen might. I'm not sure whether it whether the public rights space is, is clearly not where we are, but there, I think there are macro differences between the markets that are likely the cause of that, um, but that's a whole other, that's okay. a whole that's other topic. Probably not a brewing. Um, no, it's not brewing. <laughs> and that's enough on brew. Um, <laughs> sharp decrease in ABAC complaints, which is interesting. I know. I am taking full 100% credit for that. Well, I'm it, just saying. Is it, okay, <laughs> is it because brewers are much more aware and conscious of it in their marketing? Or? Is it because the council council is sick of me saying... The council council are making these complaints. These are the ones that are complaining about it. And they've just haven't got the funding or they've had to redirect I their efforts. I was going to say, or, or the person who used to do it left <laughs> on no, maternity but, leave. But, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, so it, it feels like it's something like that. Yeah. I d- but when you look at how broadly they, they, they were state-by-spaced and you've got, as we talked about, you know, yeah. the, yeah. the university lecturers in every state have, have a vested interest. So the people are keeping a very close watch on it. Um, I, I mean... I do wonder, given that FAIR and their associates opted not to participate in the ABAC review because they see that as legitimising ABAC. Did, I was just about to ask, did we ever make that submission to the ABAC review or did you ever make the submission on the ABAC review that corporate applicants should be named? No, we didn't. We're flat out doing what we... No, I, I was <laughs> yeah, just wondering yeah. because I think that's the sort of... That, that to me is the really interesting data point that would be great to come from ABAC. Um, I also wondered whether it was because, you know, of the few organisations that I've spoken to recently, they have had their entire marketing team go through the ABAC training. Mm-hmm. Um, so not everybody do is it. doing that. Absolutely but, do it. you know, there is mm. available ABAC training online. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are running a small business, yep. it's a couple of hours of your time, but it is well worth it. Um, and so I just wanted, you know, like here you've got the pre-vetting continues to be high, I wonder whether you know folks yep. are taking up the pre vetting and folks are doing the training, yep. and and whether there We're is this sort of I, I, I learning. Think it is, but it's like, you know, again, like not to toot our own horn, but no one else covers ABAC because ABAC is one of those double edged swords. No one wants to be reported about yeah. when they fall foul of ABAC, mm-hmm. but unless you, without calling people out negatively, you just need to highlight the stories when they do arise because mm-hmm. otherwise, everyone operates in a, you know, yep. in, in you know, well, no it's one, all about uh, lessons learned, right? It's absolutely. about the focus of how can we do it better yeah. next time. And who not, has time to actually analyse the ABAC you know, yeah. well, stuff? Well, we did a couple of weeks ago the most recent round because there have obviously not been that many recently. Um, banks Brewing, I think you might – that might have been the week I was away actually. I think you might, guys might have discussed yeah. it. Um, they actually said that they weren't – obviously haven't been reading Bruce News, is what I'm saying. Um, but they weren't really aware of it and so they actually sent their ABAC gui- the ABAC guidelines to their designers. Yeah, so that's So they right. were like, well – it, it's not for us necessarily, but we will, as in, we don't design it, so we just say yes. Mm. Um, but you should know about it. But so should designers. Yep. Yeah. So should marketers. Anybody who you bring from externally, and I think a lot of the issues can be from that, that yep. you bring people yep. from external industries who don't necessarily work in the brewing or alcohol space at all, yep. and they're designers who do lots of really amazing creative stuff but don't realise that there are regulations in this Above space. and beyond. Yeah, yeah, than what there usually is. Um, Which is so, yeah. where ABA you know, I can understand that FAIR will have a different temperature setting for what is acceptable marketing. Mm-hmm. That is just part and parcel of the industry. And it's a tension yep. that has to rule when you've got people who, are, who have a view about alcohol and as a cancer agent and, you know, responsible drinking and those sorts of things. You can completely uh, – they have a really legitimate central premise. Mm-hmm. But they're so distrustful. They're, they're, their view of the industry is so jaundiced and – they take such a sinister view of them that they won't even participate. When ABAC has actually done more for awareness around 
marketing and the sensitivities around it mm-hmm. than anything else in the, the yep. marketing industry space. Mm-hmm. And they, if they're not going to engage with it, they are part of the problem. Yep. So anyway, but that, that, that's enough. We don't want to sort of become bear bashing. Um, <laughs> CUB brings uh, Resh's dinner ale back to hey, life. Now, Resh's. I was called at uh, quarter past five this morning, got a call oh, yeah. from 3AW because there was oh, a little yeah. par in the Which is a radio station. 3AW radio station. Because I wanted, they there was a little par in the um, paragraph for those who aren't in the um, <laughs> journalism uh, world uh, 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 in the Herald Sun about Richmond Lager coming back, um, and they wanted to talk about that. And you know, they go, "Oh, consumer demand." And in Richmond Lager's case, it's probably not consumer demand. Um, <laughs> it is if you know, they haven't it, got an appreciation. If you society don't turn the engine right over now. every couple of years. You, you, you lose the car, basically. You, you know, um, if you don't use a trademark, you can lose it. And we rem- recall that Thunder Road tried to wrest trademarks or disuse trademarks from CUB seven or eight years ago and uh, was successful with some, unsuccessful with most. But because of that, every few years, CUB brings back Brisbane Bitter and Bolimba Gold Top mm-hmm. and these nostalgia like brands. Like limited edition runs and then they can forget about it again. Yeah, and of course they've got to sell it. So they've got to sort of say, oh, popular demand. You know, people love... If, if it was popular demand, these I things would still be never, around. I've never heard of that before in my life. Okay, either. well, I'd never heard of... Um, you never heard of Rashes, have you? Rashes. Rashes. You're a child. Like, let, let's like, I remember the old Rashes. Well, rashes I, refreshes and like all of these. No, but it did say it was popular in the 90s and I was not consuming beer in the 90s, nor was I in um, Victoria. But... but so this one really is a was grassroots. That an ageist swipe? Um, this <laughs> is no. a this is a grassroots movement. Oh like yeah, this was popular demand. Well, oh yeah, so, sorry, I, I was going to come around to this. Oh, so I was just okay, saying, like okay. some of and them, so some of them, no one cares. Yeah, <laughs> but but Resh's has twelve thousand people on its Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, who are absolutely rabid. There was a twenty-two-year-old oh. who posted when he saw the yeah. a photo of himself. Going, so excited. I've never tried this before, yeah. and they it's the best beer that I've ever posting about dinner ale. They were literally driving around I'm trying to find sure dinner ale that last the week. Dinner ale will because it will be from the same wort stream, I'm sure. I was just going to yeah. say, without casting aspersions on the beer mat, is it just a beer? It won't mat? be the original. Like it, it's, well, it's not the original. Well, now, I, 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 I don't know this for a fact because I haven't spoken to any of the brewers for a while, but for a long time, or you know, most of the production that comes out of. CUB, it's the same wort stream that they then just dial up and dial back, you know, yeah. with um, deoxygenated water or, you know, a, a little bit more, you know, hop extract or whatever. So they, they just tweak the, you know, on the way to the packaging line. Yeah. Um, so they're not vastly different beer. They're just slight tweaks. Um, and this isn't so <laughs> – it's this mad. is one of the things that, yeah, like really exercises my brain in, mm-hmm. in, in so many ways because when Resh's – when, when the, the, the Rush's fan club first came out, you're kind of going, you people are idiots. Because <gasps> No, no, that. It, 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 that was the, the, the gut response, the visceral response. Why? Because You're well, allowed to like something. Oh, no, no. But yeah, yeah, so let, let me finish. Oh, sorry. Okay, all right. Their justification for doing it was like you had all of these New South Wales-based people who remembered Rush's going, I don't want any of that Victorian-produced muck or any <laughs> of that Queensland-produced muck and Rush's is the beer. It's angels crying on your tongue sort of thing. <laughs> And then suddenly when Rashes comes back, there is no New South Wales CUB brewery. Like, they're CUB brands. So, they're coming from Queensland or Victoria, which are – so, essentially – and then when you point this out to them, they go, oh, I don't care, at least yeah. Rashes. That's they're exactly so, what they said when I did the said. article about nostalgia and emu export yep. and talked about Rashes. And I said, it's not made there. And like, we don't care. <laughs> But We're when, not when the whole reason <laughs> yeah. for them loving this brand was it was New South Wales beer, and, yeah. and that even went to the Samelia um, Heard, James Heard, mm-hmm. um, and James Atkinson did this story a couple of years ago because CUB is saying we love our heritage brand so much, and yet <laughs> they abandoned the re- they didn't even bother asking for the Resh's Twitter handle. So this New South Wales um, Samelia, oh, I remember that, who yeah, had yeah, this affinity with the brand, just go. Well, gee, the, no one's taken the Reshes. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take it. So he was tweeting under Reshes, and again, for somebody who, you know, maybe it's a personality quirk of mine. I love there to be consistency in what you do. And on one hand, when you speak to wine guys, provenance and truth and integrity are all that they're celebrating in wine. 
But then he was celebrating Resh's. And when, so James did an article with him going, well, how do you, he goes, I love the Resh's brand. Like it's a small local thing you can only get in Sydney and it's our local beer. And you're going, yeah, but it's made in Melbourne. I'm going to psychoanalyze a little bit here. So I think the, the provenance thing, the state-based thing, is only a tiny aspect of We it. can convince it's, ourselves of anything if we want to. I think it's more emotional than that. It is. But like, if a, you look at, like, people talking about how they drank it with their granddad, and then, like, that's that's how they remember it. That's how they see it. Like, they, the whole provenance, the whole state thing seems like a bit of a smokescreen to say, actually, this made me think of something I care about. It, it's just... It's a post-facto ex- rationalisation yes, for yeah, our feelings. that's what I was thinking. And, yeah. and that's, and, but again, and, and that's what I used to sort of sneer at. You're going, you people are you shit-canning... <laughs> you people are shit-canning, you know, Queensland and Victorian beer. But the beer that you supposedly love mm. is essentially that beer that's dull a little bit and it but just has a package that you love. But We, we had this conversation, of, yeah, so that's whole, great. It's well, great that they have got a diehard people that follow their brand because that is what everybody aspires oh, yeah. to. Let me finish. But this is my own flawed logic because yep. I want to sort of say there is some purity in it. New people are idiots because – but then again – we drink for what gives us pleasure. Yep. Mm. And the wine industry, and so that, that's where I'm coming. And I was yep. wrong to, th- you know, I was wrong to think that. And yes, you're building up a false narrative in your head. Yeah. But that doesn't change the fact that this beer gives you, you look at the pleasure that this huge following of people on social media have. And that's what. People but do you do. have a funny little place in your heart for Forex? No. Also, oh, any kind of beer like that's not beer no, because no, because like I still make like oh, oh, no. Look, I'm as susceptible to suggestion as anybody else yeah. in my own little way, yeah. um, and 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 that's where we because that's the way we're wired instantly. Mm. And when you look, and it, it it's not. That's where you can't sneer on some level because we all have our blind spots. We all have our things, but it's not just a. It is not just an intellectual recreation of, of ourselves because there are all of these studies that show when you measure the pleasure that somebody gets, the, the, the physical firing yep. of neurons mm-hmm. in their pleasure senses, when you tell them this is an $80 bottle of wine that you are sampling and this is a 15 you experience more pleasure when you are told something that you want to be true. It's not just... It, it, it's not just a psychological thing. Your psychological thing actually triggers yeah. your brain firing its pleasure centers, which means you're getting more pleasure from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, how I, can you legitimize that? And so, you know, the thing I always come back to is the wine, the, the, the wine wanker, for want of a better term, who at his dinner <laughs> party goes down to his cellar, pulls out a bottle of wine and tells everybody how the winemaker gave him this tea. Yeah. He's been cellaring this for the right occasion. All of his pleasure is coming from the recounting of that story. It doesn't matter what is in that bottle. It could but be this vinegar. Is, but this is part of why, so, you know, this is part That's of why... marketing sto- is. Storytelling, story exactly. Storytelling, and that is so much part of why. So, Claire, you, you, you just gave the exact example that Matt did, which is guy sits down with his reshes and tells the story of his grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, what does craft beer trade on? Um, and we're going to get to sort of a comment that's come in recently, but what does craft beer trade on? It trades on the story. Trades in so many and cases. That's it what trades we need to be better story. at, and we need to be better I at do consistent feel storytelling. That this inorganic marketing, like this, oh, we're trying to force this kind of stuff. I don't like that. It's yeah, not my I, cup I, of tea. I, I, this is much more like they. It means more. It's more authentic. It actually is legit. Whereas that forced stuff, it rubs me the wrong way. It does, but I think this is um. So not to sort of. Do another like loop back, but um, you know, Richard Adams. <laughs> That's what we're here for. R- Richard Adamson, in, in your discussion with him on Tuesday, actually said, you know, things work when they're authentically done. Yep. So their collabs with musicians in terms of what is the right beer with that particular musician, he thinks they only work because it's authentic because they really care about getting to the right place. And it's so, got to be authentic enough. Is the one caveat I'll throw in there? Yeah, and go sure. back. We spoke yeah. to um, the consumer psychologist um, Adam. Uh, no, uh, James Pollan. No, no, no. It was a couple of years. He's on the ground oh. transfer and we talked about this, oh, but we yeah. talked about it in the context. This is how long we've been beating this drum because when Peroni and Heineken and all of those imported brands mm. started being made here and people hate the fact that these beers are made here, even though they're getting a better product here, 
because it's fresher. It's not spent yep. six weeks coming across mm. the equator in an unrefrigerated shipping container. You're getting a better, more premium experience. But there's something about people they want to feel that they're drinking Italian water. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but That's why I won't drink Guinness here. And he said, you know, like it, it doesn't actually hurt the brands when you say made in Australia under license because so long as all of the cues are consistent enough with what the brand offers, people will still, you know, yeah, yeah, bend so their minds to it to allow it. Yep, but there has to be something real there to begin with. Like you have to be working from a base, right? And so the base story was real, um, you know, and so… But the truth is that it's you're drinking the same water that you flush your Roman toilet with. Okay. Um, No, no, if you want a better example. But no, that is the thing. It's this beer that is the hormone. The brand needs to represent Italian style and that's where, you know, like Foster's… One of the things that killed Foster's, I think, um, for Australia was when John Elliott tried to Fosterize the world, they played to the international tropes about what Australians were and Australians yeah. didn't see themselves as that. So it was no longer a yeah. brand that we wanted to embrace. But So it's not a true brand, but it was true enough. Or yeah. Consumer yeah. psychology is what fascinates. And riveting. listen out to an upcoming podcast. It's not next week's. It's the following week's where I speak to Malcolm Eady about the James Squire brand. Really, <gasps> I really. I think it is next week. It is next oh, week? Is yeah. Um, ah. Really, really interesting uh, chat because we don't talk about James Squire beer, but Malcolm uh, talks about the new James Squire's campaign and we look at the evolving beer market through the lens of James Squire. That is the biggest beer brand, the craft beer brand in the country, um, the the portfolio, and I think it's twice the size of Little Creatures or um, uh, Stonewood, which are the other. Hey, Matt, so if you had an evolving beer brand... And needed to change your labels. I mean, I wouldn't advise it, but well, well, you <laughs> if need you're to constantly rashes. evolve and update. And if you do, you might need to change your labeling. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, Sabrina, so you're good. No, I don't even you are have to good. think about it. I don't it. even need to be here. Um, <laughs> yes, you would call good friends Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging because they are not only able to supply labels, but they can do everything, all of the accoutrements. Um, of your packaging and your branding. They can do bottles, they can do printed uh, or blank cartons, they can do trays, tap decals, barcodes and shrink sleeves. Already applied to empty can- beer cans ready for filling. They're not going to do bottle labels for your cans because they're already on your bottles. But they can do all of the guff. The guys often get asked where would a brewery buy a shrink sleeving machine to apply the sleeve to your cans though. And you don't need to because they do all of the hard work. They do the heavy lifting. Um, they deliver them to your door, palletized and ready to fill. Nothing more to do apart from fill them and put the top on and then you know, the whole marketing thing. But there, <laughs> there is more to do but around the packaging. So give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further. And you'll find a link in the show notes or on the Brews News business directory, which is your home to all the best suppliers in the Australian beer industry. But we will do a uh, mailbag. Thanks to the New Zealand Ale Trail. And oh God, I was talking this morning, I need to get over New Zealand. Um, so New Zealand Ale yeah. Trail is on my you know, sort of speed dial, if your web browser has a speed dial. www.nzaletrail.com is my speed dial or at NZ Ale Trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. Do you want to take this one, the update on the CDS? Oh, yes. So um, obviously we had the discussion about container deposit schemes last week and inevitably, and we did ask though, didn't we? We were Mm -hmm. like, I'm not sure we've got this right, so do let us know. And I'm not sure this means that we're wrong either. But apparently we've had a couple of people call or email in and or email in. Uh, It's apparently cheaper to do curbside recycling than to operate the CDS return points. So while cans that go through curbside are still counted under the scheme, it actually would be make it cheaper for brewers to encourage more people to do curbside. So they had a 100% success rate with these CDS points and everyone recycled their cans. Uh, cost of manufa- their cost, of manufacturer, cost to manufacturers would actually go up. Obviously, though, the people that are doing curbside won't get their 10 cents. So we were kind of right in saying that it also makes the scheme money uh, if people don't go through the CDS points, mm. which all sounds logically flawed to me. It just is, it does, it, It's a mind-boggling I situation. I don't know how that adds up, but it just is it. all very confusing. Yeah. Um, and if we 
you know, it's clearly something that we need to kind of map out and put cents and dollars against and all mm. of that because you know it's such a massive issue state by state, right? Absolutely. And, and some of them are really transparent. The yeah. Tasmanian one, for instance, that, that updates just everybody regularly. Anybody who wants to know what's going on with the implementation of that, it's easy to find. Yeah, Everywhere else seems to be just a labyrinth of just confusion and random documents and no... Like, yeah, it's a, a re- no understanding of how that had come to be it, how it was. Exactly. It's so, weird. it's so weird. And and it will be one of those things where, you know, five years into the mm-hmm. scheme, they're wanting to be taking a look back at success mm-hmm. and um, it will be important for industry to be yep. armed with data yep. to support what alternatives are. I can't imagine that governments will allow a, a backsies on this, you know, no. like once it's implemented, which yeah. is why New Zealand is so... Um, concerned at the it. moment Don't with 20 well 20 cents is just shocking. double yeah that's ridiculous it, it's ridiculous but yeah really confusing so yeah exactly and it's really interesting so the people I have spoken to about it they have dedicated a ton of their time to it mm. obviously it's part of their jobs in their respective businesses but they needed a deep dive to yeah. understand it and now they know it inside and out so like I always end up going mm. to them when I need to do anything on it because I'm like, oh, now I have to delve back into this and yeah. that specific state has something different to that specific state. Oh, it's an absolute nightmare. But it's good that, that folks provided the feedback because I think I've yes. been saying if all brewers got on board with the CDS, wouldn't it make it cheaper? Let's have a campaign. And in fact, what the people have come <laughs> back to you with is the opposite holds true. <laughs> tell nobody to take their cans to... Yeah, tell them all to, to recycle. Put it, to recycle yeah. in their bins. I wonder what fine. the KPIs are though because... Well, I just don't know how that gets... Surely the government would, and we'll have to ask more questions. I want surely the whole po- the whole point, the number one aim of this is to reduce litter on roads and yeah. in the so public spaces. I saw this. How do you? I saw this really that? fascinating post in New Zealand, and I can't remember who posted it, but it was a woman who is clearly pro introduction of a CDS scheme mm-hmm. in New Zealand, and she. Uh, had a picture of Heineken, a, ca- a case of Heineken, where and said there were several full beers in here. It was the box was mashed. There were some broken glass. This is precisely what the CDS scheme was designed to do. So I collected them all and took them home. I, I picked up this rubbish that I found mm-hmm. on the side of the road and took it home. Um, and and she, her point was, well, people will do that if they're going to get ten cents a container. And I was like, well, either you're the type of person who will clean up rubbish at a beach Mm -hmm. or you're the type of person who's going to leave it there, Mm -hmm. right? And so somebody underneath, granted somebody who's got a vested interest, was like, well, would you have picked them up for 10 cents a bottle or would you only have picked them up for 20 cents a bottle, right? So (laughs) what do you want your big glory? Where's your line? Where's your line of what reward you expect for doing something nice for the planet? And I was like, you know, this just goes to show the sort of – lack of sort of understanding about how the program works and in particular in the alcohol spaces where so rarely that's the case, mm-hmm. right, because we're not allowed to drink outside. So, yeah. you know, anyway, that's a whole... Basically, pure madness. If anyone wants to illuminate us, just give me a shout. <laughs> yeah, let me know. Tell me more. I don't understand. Matt, are you going to read out the next... Oh, do you want me to uh, do? Uh, No, I will. Um, comment from Adam Galley about sustainability. Well, just listen to the latest Brews News Week, and apparently there is no hope for the future <laughs> of the industry formerly known as craft beer. <laughs> if the industry is going to differentiate itself from big beer with sustainability or HR issues, then good luck as big beer will always win. Uh, furthermore, if we can't define independence, craft beer or even beer anymore, right, Matt Kirkegaard, what is left? <laughs> Such uh, so a rapid rise from nothing to shark jumping this micro. And look, and I'm, I'm half serious with this post too. Feel free to discuss. And we have discussed oh, this. Oh, yeah. Um, and we've got some good responses and you know what I started to write and then I thought oh my god I ain't got time for this this is a thesis <laughs> oh, and, but, but it is and it's it's not this is the huge challenge of business and the, 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 there are no right or wrong answers and I don't you know, I, it, it's one of those things that when I discuss issues that I see that are highly nuanced sometimes because they're the inconvenient issues that no one wants to discuss I get tired with you know supposedly I hate no and low alcohol beers and you know all of those sort of things just because I to d- d- discuss them. And this is one of those things, and I come from it that craft beer had a you know there, there was the, the thing that sparked craft beer. You know it was craft beer is maltwood hops and yeast. We're against multi beverage companies. Where it, it was very much what we were against, and that 
gave that left what essentially what we were for. As the industry has grown, and you know, particularly a new generation of brewers have come in who don't even recall um, what it was like to have no choice of beer, and craft beer is something different to them, and that's perfectly fine. And you know, it, it's not a criticism of it, mm-hmm. but you know, to to paraphrase uh, Frederick the Great, if you defend everything, you defend nothing. So if craft brewers are suddenly going, well, you know, we're going to make seltzer, um, and you know, we we got a media release today from Fella, which won a series of trophies at the International Distilling Awards for their fruited seltzers. Oh, in San Francisco, yeah. And Sabrina, well, Sabrina, and actually this ties into one of the things I wanted to have to talk about seltzer because you looked into where do seltzers fit into judging competitions and, you know, seltzer can be brewed or it can be mixed with distilled spirits. But Mark, so the same product, whereas beer can only ever be beer technically, to, to an extent. Yeah, I mean, seltzer doesn't have a clear box, right? It mm. doesn't have a, it doesn't have a um, the word seltzer is used to basically correct me if I'm wrong mean bubbly water with flavour in it. Yeah, mm. right. And the alcohol hard seltzer is the term because it's bubbly water with flavour in it with some booze in it. Yeah, some alcohol in it, and yep. so. It doesn't have as nice a box, nor does it have a range of definitions because it's in fact just water with additives, right? <laughs> so it, it's a it's a much more complex um, – if you were looking at it in terms of how do you create a benchmark to judge the best bubbly water with stuff in it? Mm. Um, and so that was the approach <laughs> that I was – we not call it bubbly water with stuff. I'm trying to I'm trying to make the case. I, I'm trying to make it clear that the seltzer is a label that is put onto a range of beverages produced that are bubbly water with additives exactly. and booze in it. And yep. so and so actually and that the booze method can be derived from a number of different ways. That's exactly right. And this is where it's problematic for brewing because beer is a different is, is a differential class that to some extent it's not as protected as wine it, it doesn't have the same mm-hmm. advantage that wine has but beer does have certain excise you know benefits yep. and things like that that distilled spirits don't if you've got a product that is the venn diagram between rtds and beer mm. and brewers are making it in a way that they get the benefit of the excise benefits and things like that but that product is indistinguishable from yep. the RTDs, then that actually drags beer into RTD space or into the spirit mm-hmm. space or vice versa. And that's my problem. And, you know, if how do you defend your core product, assuming that beer is still your core product? So I don't disagree that there has become in craft beer, I've, you know, done air quotes for that, that the bounds of what is beer has, has certainly blurred. Right. So I think that holds true. But I think that craft beer, and it, ha- it wasn't for you, Matt, that's not how you describe the arc of the story. Mm. Um, but I think the arc of the story is that craft beer was always about more than just the beer. It was always oh, about more than yeah. just the product. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. also about, you know, in Kiwi, the term is number eight wire, like, you, you know, fail fast, yep. try new things, innovation. There was innovation. a noble truth about craft beer that there was a purity, there was a promise. Well, I, no, I, like I go, so I may be thinking of craft even later, right? So maybe craft started like mm. that, but as soon as they started pushing, you know, West Coast IPA and all of that, then it became about innovation in, in terms of the offering, pushing the bounds of yep. what our raw ingredients can it, do. Yeah. So that has grown, right? But central to all of that, central to craft has always been this core theme, I believe, which is still different. So to, to sort of um, – I'm giving away, you know, my thesis about where, where we need to go next, but that craft beer has always been this connecting communities. So the differentiation between big brown liquid, it was also not these indistinguishable corporates. It was people that you knew. You you would meet the brewer. You would do all of those things. And so I think that if we are going to create, you know, create a narrative, create the marketing story. Um, and if you listen to a Zoe uh, on the Young Henry's podcast, she said uh, that she thinks craft beer is has created a welcoming space that actually it's more welcoming to people to come in and be part of. And that's why sort of that sense of it remains true today. And Drink Local has come up and said, you know, I think craft beer is 
always going to be able to add in that element. And I'm using craft. I'm not using independent. But what then is craft beer? And that's what I talked to Malcolm about in a couple of weeks. So what then is craft? Because – and and this is where um, I I wanted to differently bring it back to Adam's point um, (laughs) – is that, you know, he sort of says, well, you know, how is the industry going to differentiate itself from big beer? Yeah. And – this is the problem. How do you? Because craft was initially anything, you know, it was beer that wasn't made by big beer and then suddenly you've got the definition of craft in the US that is 10 times bigger than yeah. Cooper's um, and then you go, well, it's local. But you And know, now you've got craft brands that are owned by large corporates, well, right? Which is the thing. So how... When independence, you can be ASX yep. listed, you could be owned by a huge mining company that's bigger than the big brewers, but you're still independent. You have to work out what you want to defend. But do you think we have... Okay, so this is where I think we're sort of spinning around in circles for no point. Why does it need a definition? Independence, I understand, for the purposes of the IBA and for, for them being able to... Um, so why does what to, need a uh, definition? Why does craft beer... Well, it's indefinable these days. Like that's it's, exactly. We're a but, world. but so if it is indefinable, so then I, I don't understand. It's a marketing term. We're just fighting about definitions, and there's no point. Um, I think the bigger issue for beer, the beer, beer, however you define it, and maybe let's take out big premium brands, and we'll just go with beer. So, so what's a big premium brand? So Corona. Yep. Peroni. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah uh, if yeah. we took out Asahi Super Dry, so if we took out what was maybe formerly known as premium, yep. um, and we went beer in Australia, if we actually look at market share is declining. Yep. Right. So market share is declining for beer total. We also know that there are significantly changing demographics. So this is an argument that I've made a number of times, which is people that bought into the craft beer movement in the way that Matt saw it are ageing out of drinking um, craft beer or being sort of craft beer evangelists. Mm. So there's that next generation um, and that co- that came up with Zoe. So, so you so take... So should a- the IBA just merge with the Brewers Association and we become a lobbying body for beer? Well... Um, that yeah. is up to the members of the IBA in terms of what matters for them. The bit that I want to defend is beer. Okay. How do we defend beer when you've got brewers, who, which comes back to the seltzer thing, when you've got brewers that are making a product that is indistinguishable from something that the distillers are making in a way that blurs the lines? How do we defend beer? So I want to talk about the bits that unite us, not the bits that divide us. Okay. But if we're not defending beer in excise terms, yeah, so that's a- we will get slaughtered by RTDs. So the brewing industry will be sort of so that's where you need to define what beer is, what the association that defends beer is, what they care for, or what for. the parties are, because maybe you know uh, um, associations can only do so much. But as a collective industry, there are lots of people involved, and we can work together in multiple ways to mm. do things. So uh, you know, putting everything on the shoulders of one body or two bodies, I don't, I, I don't think is. But this is where the IBA needs to work out who they represent. Because there are going to be people who, who who leave the IBA because the IBA is saying you have to put a place name on your label. Yeah, I think what – well, I don't know the answer to that because we, have, we haven't seen it out um, from the IBA. But I would make two points. Yeah, the IBA needs to decide who it's going to represent and mm. the IBA will decide that based on what its members advocate for because it's a membership okay, organisation. Thanks but, for this, but, Adam. But, Much appreciated. But, but you need – okay, but to work out who your members are – you need a definition. No. Yes. The member, no, sorry. I you, think that's you, you okay, do, just, because otherwise CUB and Lion can join the Independent Brewers Association. If you don't define uh, who I, your membership is, so you, at, at some agree, level, it, does, it, can, it may not be relevant to consumers, but this okay, is where but, you need to work out who you represent. And I'm confident that they are doing that process, which is they're about to release their report on what on what I, um, independent beer says for. But the point of a membership, we keep using the IBA as if it's a term of something that sits separate from the 200 breweries or so that are members of it. If you are a member of the IBA and you have a view of yep. what the IBA stands for, then your job within that organisation is to participate and advocate for it. The IBA is not going to impose a definition. It is going to well, seek... Well, it does fe- because you need to work out who your membership is before, before no, you can be a member of an organisation, you need to work out who is eligible for membership. It currently has members. Anyway, but yeah. back to Adam's point, you can hear from the tyre spinning on ice that we're going through to do, which is exactly the point that Adam's making. What does any of this matter? And unless you know 
what you're defending, who you're defending it for. What you're advocating what for, you're advocating what the positive for, sides are, what brings us together. And when you've got brewers who are making seltzer, which comes back to that point, if you've got brewers who are making seltzer, how do you defend beer against the distillers, um, and w- which is all of the problem. And so Adam raises a really good point because it's taxed us for the for 15 minutes. Um, and I think everyone's bored with hearing us bicker. It's um, <laughs> a bit bicker like, because this just highlights a problem. We are well over time. Can I just add one thing? Um, so the Pink Boots Association have announced um, just a couple of days ago about their associate uh, judging program for the – um, AIBAs um, and it's actually a very rigorous program that they've put in place in terms of the steps that need to be taken so they really are kind of looking to raise the bar in terms of um, you know g- getting nominated by them to be an associate judge at the AIBAs but that um, nomination um, form is open at the moment and so just encouraging anyone that is considering it we know that um, both Lauren from Ballistic and Sarah Turner have both um, talked about how influential being members of judging panels has been for them. Um, And so that's just a a shout out um, to anybody who's listening that wants to consider um, applying for that. Awesome. That wraps up another week of news and animated discussion uh, on on Brews News Week. You've got a little taste of what the office is like, everyone. (laughs) Your combatants have been Matt Kierkegaard, Claire Burnett and Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder, hopefully tightly edited by Joe Helder. We thank Cry Malt, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants who create the bar blades that you'll get if you're... Any of your um, comments have been read out on this week's podcast. Thank you all for listening. We really do appreciate your participation in the Facebook group and by email and all of the people that send us little texts after a story or before a story that say, don't quote me on this, but <laughs> share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, finally, we're out. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs>